All right, everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast, where we help you connect with the past through food. My name is James, I'm your host, and today is episode 54. Now, before I dive into today's show, I wanted to take a moment and remind you, if you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That's really going to help grow the show, and it is much appreciated. With that out of the way, we're going to go ahead and just dive right into the show today. We have Kathy Cote on for an interview. She is the owner of Polly's Pancake Parlor in Sugar Hill, New Hampshire, and she's going to tell us all about the history behind Polly's. Here's Kathy. Let's go ahead. We'll dive right in, and I'll have you start by introducing yourself. Sure. My name is Kathy Aldrich Cote, and I am the third generation owner of Polly's Pancake Parlor in Sugar Hill, New Hampshire. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about Polly's Pancake Parlor and how it got its start. Well, um, Polly's is situated on a large tract of land that was settled in the late 1800s by my grandfather's first wife's family. And uh, they had a thriving working New England farm, which included a very large maple sugaring business that they catered to the local grand hotels that were here in town at the time. Um, And then during the Depression, during 1938, my grandfather had been remarried as his first wife had passed away, and they were looking for a way to kind of highlight the different uses for their maple syrup products. So they opened a small tea room, Polly's Pancake Parlor, that featured pancakes and afternoon teas and um, also featured what they called the maple tray, which had pure maple sugar, pure maple syrup, and pure granulated, uh, pure maple spread or maple cream, as some people like to call it. Um, And that to this day continues, although with COVID, there's been a few changes to the maple tray, but it still is offered with every, every party gets sat down, they get unlimited supply of those items. Um, and we still make the maple sugar and the maple spread here on the farm ourselves. That's awesome. So with your grandfather, was he uh, a farmer by trade or did he just kind of fall into it? Oh, no, he actually, he actually, as far as I can tell, he actually did some courses at University of New Hampshire as a dairy farmer. And um, he married into the family. There was already a working farm here. And so he married into the family. They had um, a large herd of Holstein cattle mm. that they raised. Um, they were long since gone when I came around. But the, the barn is still standing. It was built in 1988. It only houses a, a pleasure horse pet. And that's mm-hmm. it as far as farm, farm activity goes. There's no real working farm here anymore but we still own a good chunk of the land that helps preserve our views of the White Mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when did you guys stop farming operations there? Uh, it was pretty much near the end of his life. I think they got rid of the, the herd of cattle since like 1958 to 1960 thereabouts. 
Okay. Um, and, you know, he, he passed away in 1960, so they, they, uh, they no longer did the farming after that. Mm-hmm. The, the, restaurant, the restaurant pretty much started to take over the, the main aspect of the business. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's kind of flipped, flipped spots from, from there. <laughs> No, it's interesting how that happens. I and I, I've interviewed a few restaurants that had a, a similar start. You know, start as a farm and then uh, move into a restaurant. And so I'm always curious how that change comes about, and if it was something that was forced or if it was something that was just you realize that the pancake is the bigger, better business than the farm side of things. Yeah, exactly. And I think. What's probably part of what happened is just the nature of the family members that were taking it over mm-hmm. at that time. My mom, my mom ended up joining the business probably in like 1949. Mm-hmm. And um, even though she grew up on the farm, she was, she was not a farmer. There were no other, other siblings to help run things. So the restaurant was kind of the, the natural way for her to go. Mm-hmm. Um my dad, when he married into a family, was working outside of the business and was certainly not a farmer. So that's kind of why that part of it just sort of naturally just went by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Uh, the restaurant was, was really more my mother's cup of tea. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's always been a, a pretty, uh, although we, we have, we've had lots of couples running it, it's it's always been pretty much a, a female operated business long before mm-hmm. that was a, a cool thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That you, you really don't yeah. see a lot of that, particularly during the, the time period where Polly's was really getting its foothold and really exactly. starting to take off. That, yeah. That's yep. awesome. Definitely an awesome part of the history there for sure. Yeah. So I also, I love multi-generational family businesses and one thing that's always apparent when I have someone on the show that's part of a business like that is that each generation has their stamp or their mark. Um, and maybe you know the answer to this, maybe you don't. How did your mom change the business? And then how have you, as, as you've stepped into that role, how have you changed things? Both both my mom and my dad really expanded it uh, quite a bit. It was pretty much just a summer tourist shack, for for lack of better words. Um, And they expanded it at least two different times, I believe. Um, Expanding, which was allowed to double the seaweed capacity from, I think, maybe Mm -hmm. 15 to probably 40, and then I believe the last expansion in 76 that they did expanded it to about 65 seats. At that point, it was still um, seasonal only. All the plumbing, ingoing and outgoing, was above ground. So up until six years ago, um, it was just a basically April through October business, although my husband and I, when we joined it, we started kind of pushing that envelope and uh, we'd, get, we'd open up like sugaring weekends in March and close as late as Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. which that meant we had to kind of drain the pipes every night, <laughs> <laughs> so, which, which was always really interesting. A couple of times we'd have a freeze up, but um, right. it, it wasn't really, it, that building was never really intended for what it was. So 
So my parents has, had expanded the season greatly and the season capacity. Um, they were mm-hmm. lucky to have been found by Jane and Michael Stern of the Road Food, Good Food book fame. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were featured in that in the late 70s, early 80s, and also to the point where my mom was um, asked to be flown to New York City and be on Good Morning America with Jane and Michael. And oh, wow. that really, that really sort of um, was the explosion in Polly's growth. So, you know, we get mm-hmm. to be known across the, across the country from the book and also from the television exposure. Um, so a lot of people would say, hey, I'm over in that neck of the woods. I'm going to go there. And they did. Mm-hmm. So it was, that, that part was pretty phenomenal. Um, for, as far as Dennis and myself, we just we joined the business full time in like 1982 and allowed my parents to kind of step back a little bit. I wouldn't say they ever necessarily fully retired. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both they're both deceased, but they they really were pretty functional in the operation of the business right up to the ends of their lives. Um, my husband and I both could see that the building was falling down. It was tired. We had probably gone around and around for about ten years trying to think how can we expand this? How can we winterize it? How can we do this? And we actually worked with three different architects, I think, before Mm -hmm. we finally landed on this last one, which basically involved tearing the original building down and rebuilding a a new building, which was phenomenally stressful and very hard to do, Mm -hmm. um, but had been also phenomenally successful. So since 2015, we've been on the same location, but in a new larger building, which is basically sort of the same layout as the old building was, only kind of on steroids. So now it can, in a non-COVID world, it can fit, uh, can seat up to 106 people. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. We went from our busiest day in the old building with hours being 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. We did, I think our busiest day was 600 people. This last Columbus Day Sunday from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., we did over 800 people. Oh wow! Um, yeah, which was yeah, that was pretty, 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 pretty banging. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I would say that's definitely Dennis's and my mark is uh, we've you know we've made some changes to the menu, we've expanded it, and that's probably the aspect of the fourth generation. My kids coming in mm-hmm. is is added you know like a breakfast burger, which was never on the menu before. Mm-hmm. So their their aspect is more changing some of the food items. Um, so, so yeah, we've each each generation has had its its effect on the menu and also the physical plant. Yeah, I it, it like I said, it's always interesting when I interview those multi generational businesses because it, it and it's very apparent. Like each generation has something that they did because we're all different people, even though we're all in in a family. And and each generation has something that they did that really dramatically changed things. Um. Was it hard for you emotionally to tear down that building? Oh, yeah, that's good. Words don't even describe. <laughs> you know, it was scary. It was it was uh, bittersweet. Mm-hmm. You know, we had my husband and I had had got to tape that place together so many different times in ways <laughs> that it was. Um, it, 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 it part of us was like, okay, good. And when we actually got to tearing it apart we had kind of hoped that we were going to be using 
um, part of the wood in the new building, and it became apparent that my grandfather, being the frugal Yankee that he was, probably had already repurposed that wood from something else. So a lot of it had dry rot and uh, mm-hmm. was not usable at all, especially in a commercial building with today's codes going forward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was. I we we had the whole staff gathered around the day that the uh, the the bulldozer and the backhoe were there taking it down and it and it was it was tough but mm. seeing, seeing the new one was also exciting and seeing where it's brought us as far as being able to employ employees year-round instead of seasonal and offer them all better jobs it was it was the right decision to make yeah i'd imagine a decision like that's like you said you went back and forth and around and around before you finally did it and yeah. uh it, it obviously tough to say goodbye to the past but obviously realizing that if your business is going to have a future a sustainable future then it sometimes you got to make those tough decisions exactly exactly and you know social media added a whole new aspect of stress to that because we we, uh, we had a lot of support i would say overwhelmingly we had a lot of people that really were positive about it they understood mm-hmm. but then it just takes those few negative naysayers you know like 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 the ones that load in the men's room of a new building you blankety blank ruined it (laughs) (laughs) yeah which i thought was a little bit of a a little bit hypocritical where they were defacing the property themselves but it was it was really tough it it was um not an easy not an easy decision to do you know the old place definitely had some some charm Mm -hmm. Um, but the old place also had some quote-unquote charm which you know (laughs) leaky pipe difficult chain rodents uh you know it just it was it was a electrical nightmare (laughs) yeah so yeah uh, you know this this uh it it was the right decision definitely in hindsight now that we've uh we've gotten over that hurdle but it's funny though because we we the way that we set it up, like I said, we saved all the old antiques from the old building and we set it up just about the same way. And mm-hmm. if there's people that have come in, they'll think that we just expanded the old building. They don't realize that it's a totally new building and the old one's gone. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, just guess we did something all right. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously you're going to have people that come out of the woodwork and they're just going to hate anything that anyone does so but uh but you also have uh still on the same property it still has the same feel and charm of of what you had originally there and it's you know like you said there wasn't much to salvage from the other building in terms of materials so i mean right you're now in a safer environment that's Better. Yeah, and the most, you know, the, our, our main point was to be able to have a year-round operation because we mm-hmm. are, we you can see Cannon Mountain Ski Area from from the dining room, and mm-hmm. um, so we are we are nestled in the the White Mountain Ski Area. We're within, you know, twenty minutes from Bretton Woods, twenty minutes from Loon, five minutes from Cannon, and another probably thirty minutes from Waterville Valley, and to say nothing about the snowmobile trail networks and all of that. So. Sure. When we 
took the proposal to the bank, we kept the winter numbers very conservative because we weren't sure how our winter business would be. And that first year, it just blew us out of the water. It was phenomenal, our mm. winter business. We were, we, were, we were so pleased and surprised. And it's in, you know, this year, January and February, in the first two weeks of March, um, we were on track for having another record-breaking winter. And then, mm-hmm. of course, COVID hit. So break came screeching on. <laughs> yeah. So just out of curiosity with with COVID, obviously that's forced a lot of restaurants to change and a lot of restaurants are going to close and never open again. You know, it's just really hit the industry hard. What are some things you've had to do to change and adapt and kind of roll with those punches? Uh, well, the very first thing we had to do is the, the we're in one of the northern counties of New Hampshire. So the governor allowed those counties to be at 100 percent capacity, however, with six foot distancing between tables. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the blessings of having a larger building. One of the things we did is um, the dining room had 20, 23 tables, I believe, and a counter. And like I said, it was 106 feet. We mm-hmm. ended up taking out our measuring tape and facing six feet between all the tables. We lost four tables and basically flexibility to pull any tables out and add chairs. So we ended up losing, I believe, about 30, 32 chairs. So we're at something like 70, 73, 74% capacity, which mm-hmm. isn't bad. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. Um, so that was one of the, that was obviously the biggest change and, and the sanitizing. And we're, we're instead of using disposable throwaway um, menus or, or our QR code menu, we're, we're using our regular menus, but every menu gets sanitized after mm-hmm. each use. Yeah, consequently, they're, they're starting to fall apart, but. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're a lot still, of scrubbing yeah. they're not used to. <laughs> a lot of scrubbing, exactly. You know, and we have a, a minimum of, every two hours sanitation with all the high touch areas that, that so, so basically the assistant host or hostess's job is, is kind of a sanitizer now. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're the ones that are just constantly sanitizing when they're not feeding the party. Um, and then uh, as I had stated earlier, the, the maple tray, we used to automatically present that on every table, whether mm-hmm. they were getting pancakes or not. And that always had a drip cut of pure maple syrup from a local farm here in New Hampshire our own pure maple granulated sugar and maple spread. And those were both in covered condiment jars um, that people could dish in and help themselves to. And, you know, cream and sugar and butter. Mm-hmm. And now our servers, our servers have to, um, they don't bring anything out right away. Once it's determined what people are ordering, they'll bring out the syrup. And mm-hmm. we've had to move the, the um, granulated sugar into a sprinkle covered top um, shaker and the maple cream is in a squeeze bottle and mm-hmm. we sanitize those after every single use. Mm-hmm. So they're still there, but they're just, they're not, not quite as, not quite as nice presentation as it was pre COVID. And, um, and that's pretty much the biggest changes, obviously the temperature checks and questioning all 26 employees when they come into work every morning mm-hmm. to make sure nobody 
nobody's running a fever or anything like that, which we've been very lucky and blessed that we haven't been faced with that. But we keep checking every day. And um, I'd say that's about it. I think my biggest surprise is for the summer tourist months of July and August, um, we've been running we've been running anywhere from low probably of like 68% to last year's numbers to a high yesterday was 120% to last year. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, I, I think when it all comes down to it, I, I believe I ran the numbers for July. <clears throat> In July, we weren't open seven days a week for the whole month until mm-hmm. near the end of the month. So we ended up being about 69% to last year's July's numbers. August, we've been open seven days a week. So that's obviously going to be higher. My gut feeling is when I run those numbers, it's going to end up being like around 80, 80% thereabouts, which, you know, considering it's a pandemic, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I would say, I would say compared to, you know, what I've, what I've heard, what I've seen from other restaurants, uh, you're, you're doing really well. And I think it's interesting as well that the, the changes that you made to your business by staying open year round and the new building with the larger capacity, it's helped to, it's helped to protect against this, uh, you know, COVID shutdown that we've all had an experience, you know, being able to withstand that better. Right. It's definitely given us a larger footprint so that, so that, you know, we're, we're not suffering like some of the smaller businesses are. We, we didn't jump on the, outdoor dining, throw a tent up in the parking lot. Um, the weather up here north of the mountains is just super unpredictable. It could be mm-hmm. a gorgeous sunny day, and within a half an hour, you could have a torrential hailstorm, mm-hmm. uh, which ha- happened a lot this summer. So, and, and, you know, this morning, I was up there, and my daughter answered the phone, and I could hear her say, no, no, we don't offer outdoor dining. We do take out, but we don't offer outdoor dining. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking to myself, it, it, we had a, a cold front go through last night, and it was 50 degrees this morning and a stiff breeze. And I was like, I don't think anybody would want to sit outside <laughs> in that weather. So, <laughs> no. The pancakes are going to get pretty, pretty cold pretty fast. Exactly. Exactly. Um well, so with a business that's been open as long as Polly's, is there a story or two since you've been involved or maybe that's been handed down to you from, from your mom or from your, your grandparents that's maybe interesting that you could share? Oh, you know, I should have thought a little harder on that when I saw that question because when I, I get asked this question, I just got a blank. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have lots of interesting stories, especially going back into the old building, but Mm-hmm. You know, we've got we've got some really nice customers, and that's probably the hardest part. Which was this year is the whole the whole, and, and I guess I've heard this across the country is a lot of the rural areas that don't. We're seeing a different type of customer this year than we normally do. I'm not seeing a lot of my old regulars there. They're steering clear. They're you know they're not comfortable eating inside yet. So mm-hmm. we're getting getting a lot of different people that don't normally vacation up in this area. And um, we've had some interesting famous people. So, um, Helen Hayes, do you remember? Have you ever heard of the actress Helen Hayes? No, I haven't, but I'm terrible with names. Yeah. So it- yeah, she, she was uh, very famous in the, in the forties and fifties. And of course, Betty Davis was one who used to vacation at one of the hotels here in Sugar Hill. 
so we've had um, a, a, it's kind of interesting too because we try to not make a big deal of it when they come in like um, uh, Carl Weathers um, oh you know the actor yeah that's one I know so excited yeah yeah <laughs> we got very excited and I had to keep telling everybody don't make a big deal don't make a big deal because we also have um, Bodie Miller is from a neighboring town who's you know World Cup World Class downhill ski racer and um he comes in quite a bit and we try to try to keep it really low-key for him because he mm-hmm. just gets mobbed when he goes to europe so mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's it but you know it's um yeah nothing that i can come right off the top of my head with really quickly unfortunately sorry no it, that's that's fine that's one of those that's one of those questions that um often will stump people just because yeah, it's yeah. every day, every day is different and every day is an adventure and you never know what's going to come in the door. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so t- let's, let's talk about the food for a minute. That That's always my favorite part. Um, and, and I'm, I'm on mountain time. So it's nine twenty six. I haven't had my breakfast yet. So this is going <laughs> to make me starving. Uh, but let's talk about the food. What can I expect when I come and visit Polly's? Well, our, our, our pancakes aren't your typical size of a plate, you know, starchy things. They're, they're for whatever reason, my grandmother and my mother, and we have continued it, have made not what I would call silver dollar pancakes, but they're three inches. Mm-hmm. And generally, the regular serving is six of those three-inch pancakes. And when my grandmother started it, she offered plain original batter, which most people consider like buttermilk. Mm-hmm. Um, buckwheat and cornmeal. And then when my father joined the business, he expanded that to add a whole wheat pancake and a um, oatmeal buttermilk pancake. And then also when my father joined in the business when he left his other job, we bought a stone grinder, <clears throat> excuse me, and we started stone grinding the corn, the whole wheat, and the buckwheat ourselves. Um, and we continue that to this day. We have a, a large grinder, stone grinder that um, came out of North Carolina many years ago that can grind a 50-pound bag of grain in about about 15 minutes or so. Oh wow! And the reason that we do, but yeah, the reason that we do that is we can, can kind of control the texture of that grain a little bit more than we mm-hmm. would if we were just buying the flour, and also it's a fresher fresher product. Um, and you know, this time of year, it's just scaling out of there. It's, hard for the miller to actually keep up with it but we still like i said we still to this day offer that so they're they're more considered more like a savory pancake mm-hmm. uh except for the original buttermilk those other four batters don't contain any added white sugar and then um as my husband and i joined the business we added a couple of specialty batters one is a, a gingerbread which is basically our original batter that you know doctored up with with ginger and molasses, delicious. And then that sounds incredible. That, you add, <laughs> yeah, you can add you can add toppings, and these are you know we put the batter on the grill and sprinkle these toppings right onto the batter, so when you flip it, they cook in. So we have blueberries, walnuts, and coconut. Those are our our standards that we offer. Mm-hmm. And then we also have like rotating specials: um, apple cinnamon, today's pineapple. Um, bananas um we have a local chocolate company up in burke vermont just over the border 
that offers uh, in the wintertime a peppermint crunch that we put in the pancakes, or this time of year it's a maple maple crunch chocolate that we add to the pancakes. And the best part about it is we have what we call the pancake sampler, or I've seen at other places called a flight of pancakes. So you can come in and you can pick three different batters. So you can pick plain, whole wheat, and buckwheat. And in those three different batters, you could put blueberries, walnuts, and coconut. So you're going to get three, diff- uh, three different types of pancakes. So you can get a, kind of get a sampling and, and make your own. And the other super unique part that I haven't mentioned is each server, each waiter and waitress, actually makes the customer's own pancakes or waffles, which is crazy. <laughs> but the reason that we do that is that then they know which customers are getting which. So, I mean, you can imagine if you had a party of 12 mm-hmm. and they all get the pancake samplers, the combinations of the different pancakes that you could have in that party of 12 is, is a little mind boggling. So, <laughs> it kind of takes a special server to keep that all straight and to do it well and to get the pancakes to the right customers. So it's that, Probably one of the most unique parts about it. You know, over the years, we've had people say, you know, if you had a, if you had a chef doing that, it'd be so much faster. It's like, yeah, but she'd be getting the wrong pancakes probably half the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we've, we've just, just been the system that my grandmother started, and we've just continued it. I also think that's that's very unique. I mean, the, the servers are... I, I think people would end up getting a better pancake that way because, obviously, your servers are going to be wanting tips and that's they want to make sure they're perfect and that the order's just right and yeah Yeah. that's that's a very unique yeah that's awesome yeah definitely and they and they said they also make the waffles and the waffles are not a belgian waffle they're a a more you know the the thinner Mm -hmm. seven inch round waffle which is kind of crispy especially the best one is cornmeal coconut in a waffle it's to die for that's wonderful (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, like the waffles, you can get just plain, or we offer this time of year, especially like a fresh fruit. And it's not your typical canned or out of a pail fresh fruit. It's fresh strawberries, fresh raspberries, fresh blueberries, fresh peaches, fresh bananas all mixed in. And you can get any combination. If you don't like bananas, you just say so, and you get the four other fruits. Mm-hmm. If you want all just raspberries on your cornmeal coconut waffle, which is even better um, with maple syrup. That's what you get. So then we also offer, um, we, we, with our stone ground grains, we bake all our own bread. And we have uh, white, whole wheat, dark rye, oatmeal, sourdough, and cinnamon raisin breads that are made fresh every day. Uh, where the bakers are also baking all of our own English muffins, our quiches, our soups, our homemade pies, cheesecakes, um, we have a, a maple pecan cheesecake, which is a recipe that I kind of developed over the years, and that's a very popular one. They're also making one of our, our signature side items is a maple bacon biscuit. And we actually take the, it, when the miller gets done making all the batters, that we have a vacuum loader, and she has to clean that out. And the, um, the flour that comes out of that is a mixture of, of different batters and she'll fill up the bag with that and we make some maple bacon biscuits out of this and it's the biscuit with bacon butter maple syrup on top of it it's oh my wonderful. goodness <laughs> yeah, kind of 
kind of like a bacon falling on top of a biscuit. Really tasty. Yeah. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds incredible. And I, I think, uh, you know, thinking about pancakes, um, a lot of people think, oh, well, it's, it's just a pancake. But obviously, from listening to you describe all the different combinations, the different variations, the specials, and then also the quality, like no one's grinding their own grain before they go and make a pancake, but that is going to make a difference. Like you said, to the texture, uh, it's going to give you a unique pancake when all is said and done and, and something you won't be able to get anywhere else. Something that's going to be incredibly difficult to replicate at home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although, although we do, we do, which I have neglected to mention is (laughs) Uh, the original business before the pancake parlor was actually mail order business for the maple syrup product. And we have continued that mail order business to this day. And it includes our pancake mixes also. So a lot of people do try to replicate it at home. Mm -hmm. I have to say just from my own experience, it's still not quite the same, Mm -hmm. but it's almost as good. And, and we were, were, we were extremely grateful for the mail order business in April, late late March and early April, just because everybody was stuck home and they were mm-hmm. all cooking. Our mail order business turned into like what we normally do at Christmas time. So it was kind of a, kind of a saving grace for us is to have that extra income from the mail yeah. order business when the restaurant was closed. It was wonderful. Well, I think it's safe to say that Polly's is pandemic proof, right? Well, <laughs> just <almost>. about. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. We we knew we were recession proof because we were comfort food. So, you know, mm-hmm. dur- during any of the economic downturns, we we didn't really see any effect of that on us. Obviously, having your whole restaurant shut down had an economic effect on us. But at sure. least we had those other that other income stream, which helped us to some degree. Sure. Yeah. When a lot of businesses were scrambling to put together an online business, or you already had one in place, and exactly able yeah. to step right into it and really put your weight behind it. Right, right. Well, I love that. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation today. One last question just about the pancake specials. What has been, what has been maybe your most interesting pancake special you've done? And what seems to be one of the more popular ones that you guys have done? Um, Probably the interesting one that I did that I thought was good was a fresh pear pancake. It wasn't that popular, but <laughs> I thought it was pretty interesting and, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the most popular special, which forced our hands into putting it on as a regular item, as I said earlier, was the gingerbread. Um, mm. We used to have that just as a rotating every seven day special and public demand just made us say okay let's just put it on the menu so it's on there although i didn't you know we've had i think we have lemon poppy seed is a very popular one um and carrot cake we added that in the in the fall we do a carrot cake and a whole wheat pumpkin i got to mention those oh so those probably, sound amazing yeah probably uh, i'd have to say the most interesting one was the pear which it would just you could get that in your choice of batter It'd be fresh pears chopped up and put into it, which is really, really very tasty. But like I said, not everybody likes pears. So. 
No, I, I can get behind that. That's uh, definitely interesting, but I'm sure, like you said, just very tasty. Uh, a different pancake yeah. than what you would expect to find. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, a lot of times when I talk with uh, restaurants, my listeners, if they want to try it, they have to go out to, you know, uh, Idaho or New Hampshire, North Dakota. But um, like you said, you have this mail order business. How can people find out more about you first off? And then also, if they want to try some of these things, how can they how can they get in touch to order? Uh, well, they can check out our website, which is com, and there's a shop button near the top, and they can check out our items and our products right there, and that's probably the easiest way, or they can give us a call, call the restaurant directly, but I'd say the easiest way is definitely check out our website, and they can uh, see what we have to offer right there. All sorts of information on the restaurant also, and the history. Yeah, and I've I've enjoyed reading that. I would definitely recommend uh, anyone listening check that out. It's it's definitely an interesting history and a fun website, and it all looks oh, absolutely amazing. So excellent. Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. We also have a pretty 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 active Facebook page, and that will have like our specials rotating on it, and um, they can they can check that out also. Perfect. Well, again. Kathy, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed learning more about polys. Thank you. It was nice talking to you. All right. Again, big thanks to Kathy for coming on the show today and for talking about Polly's Pancake Parlor. I don't know about you. We've talked about pancakes a lot lately, and I just can't get enough of them. I'm going to make sure that I go and check out their shop online and, uh, I'm going to get some of those gingerbread pancakes. They have a gingerbread pancake mix up there. So I'm going to link to everything in the description. Make sure you check them out, uh, their Facebook page, and also their website. Read more about the history as well as order some of their pancake mixes, their maple sugar, their maple cream. It all looks amazing. So make sure you check that out. As always... If you like what you heard, leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Toasty Kettle. Uh, you can also find me at ToastyKettle.com. That's where you can sign up for our newsletter and get a weekly email with updates about new podcast episodes and new vintage recipes that we've cooked. Until next week.